mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers, and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Theory Podcast. I am your host and moderator, Sean, as always, and with me is Sean P. Say hello, Sean P. What's going on, guys? Today, we want to take a few minutes and talk quickly about a recap of all of those things that we heard and found out at Mobile World Congress 2017. There's a lot of stuff to cover, a lot of ground to cover, and we will touch on some things more in depth than others based on whether or not availability is an issue, whether or not uh, accessibility is an issue, and whether or not the item is actually good is an issue. So I think probably the highlight of the show is the... um, stuff that came out from LG surrounding the G6. So what did we hear that uh, basically matched pretty much all of the leaks so far, Sean, about the G6? Yeah, the G6 leaks turned out to be uh, more than a trickle. It was kind of like a downpour towards the end. So we knew pretty much everything about these phones. Uh, It comes with a 5.7-inch, 2-to-1 aspect ratio screen. So uh, thin and tall, basically, if I were to break that down for you. So they were able to fit... A 5.7-inch screen into the same form factor as the 5.3-inch LG G5. So it's pretty impressive from that standpoint. Um, Metal and glass build. It's actually glass on the back, but LG applies this texture color inside that makes it look like it's metal. Um, I think, as I said, Snapdragon 821, 4 gig of RAM, QHD 5.7-inch screen. It's an LCD still. Um, 13 megapixel cameras, dual on the back, one wide angle, one normal. Uh, and then an 8 megapixel front facing um, selfie shooter, uh, 3300 mAh battery, 32 gig of memory with SD card slot support is the rundown. Um, as I said, this is basically what everyone was expecting. I personally think it looks really nice. Um, you know, compared to the LG G5, I think they addressed most of the issues they had with build quality. People are going to be bummed out. The battery's not removable anymore, but. No phone on the market really has a removable battery anymore, and in its place, you get IP68 uh, water and dust resistance, which I think is a more useful feature for the majority of the public. Uh, the other interesting thing about the phone was the camera sensors on the back are dual 13 megapixel sensors. As I said, one wide angle, one not. Um, they're actually IMX258, Sony IMX258 sensors, which are is a sensor you would normally find on a mid-range phone uh, with a 1.8 aperture, but... I've been looking at a bunch of photo comparisons that have come out. I think Android Central was the most recent one. And the pictures that are coming out of this thing, despite the sensor being something you would traditionally think is not top end, look pretty great. They did a shootout with the Pixel Galaxy S7 and the G6, and the G6 in many situations um, looked the best to me. So overall, I think uh, there's a lot to like here, things that I don't like. Um, They announced the phone with no release date in the United States, which is a big pet peeve of ours, as you've heard. Even worse than that, it looks like the release date probably is going to be April 7th in the United States. That's what I heard, too. So that means they squandered their entire head start, and Samsung's going to release the Galaxy S8. The newest leak today goes back to it being the 21st, so only two weeks later. Uh, And you know it's going to be up for pre-sale at that point, so uh, that's an error, in my opinion. Um, The other thing that I'm slightly concerned about is the pricing overseas which is not always comparable because they have VAT tax overseas, which adds a huge surcharge that we don't see in the States. But um, we're seeing pricing in the you know $799 range. Uh, I would expect when it comes out here, I don't know, maybe $699 on the low end, but I'm thinking probably $799 and from a pricing standpoint. 
I don't know. That might be a little rich for a lot of people's blood. Thoughts? Um, I think, well, let me talk about the phone first. I, I agree with you. I think it's actually a very attractive looking phone. Um, LG's website lists it as an 80% screen to body ratio, which is very good in terms of minimizing the amount of bezel that's available and maximizing the amount of screen. Till we get it in hand, it's going to be a little bit tough to say how it feels, but from early reviews, it does look like, and we've talked about this on previous pods and a few other things, that the width in the hand is really kind of the biggest issue as far as usability is concerned. Height can be managed with things like um, you know smart controls and even like in some some instances like the iPhone uses their uh, reachability thing where you can swipe on the home button and bring the top row of icons down. So there are things that the OEM can do to make the height of the device uh, a little bit more manageable, but the width in hand is really kind of the deal breaker. And it looks like LG with their uh, 18 and 9 or 2 to 1 aspect ratio on the screen is actually going to make a, uh, a pretty big difference by being very thin in hand, which will be very nice in, in the end user experience. Um, the cameras, everything that I've seen, I've seen a lot of people taking shots on Instagram and on Twitter, and that wide-angle camera seems to be a big hit. Like you get a couple of different perspectives from the same camera. It's almost like having a, uh, a telephoto lens and then a standard wide-angle lens on the same camera, which especially if you're going to be using it as your primary photo-taking uh, device, it'll actually be pretty nice. Uh, my favorite thing, I think, probably, uh, and you touched upon this without the removable battery, is... Uh, LG lists on their website the fact that it has a reliable battery and keep going without worry because the LG G6 battery is tested to high standards. I'm not 100% sure this is a shot at Samsung, but I'm pretty sure this is a shot at Samsung. I'm 110% sure it's a shot at Samsung, and they should, honestly. LG has nothing to lose by taking some shots at Samsung. Um, As a point to something else that you mentioned that I forgot to add earlier, Add this to the curiosities pile for LG's strategy. In the United States, we get a 32 gig model with wireless charging, but without the quad DAC that was in the V20. Overseas, they do get the quad DAC, which means you get better you know, headphones and sound coming out of your phone, but they lose wireless charging. Makes no sense whatsoever. Um, we well, definitely want to make multiple phones for different markets around the world rather than making a single phone that would work everywhere, right? I, oh, wait. I, I would bet it's even weirder than that, that the version overseas probably even has the hardware maybe for the uh, wireless charging is disabled. I doubt they would make multiple models. It's literally a metal coil on the back usually that makes this happen. So I don't know what they were thinking there. Again, you can be sure that Samsung <clears throat> will have all of those features and they're not going to be broken up by region. Um, so it's kind of a puzzling thing. I don't know how much of a big deal a quad DAC is to most customers. I think that this is one of those things that's a nice to have. But in you know, we're in an area where the features for phones really overlap, and that is something that's a little bit special of theirs. I think it would have behooved them to have everything kind of all in one package. It might also have been nice to have a 64 gig memory version, but I guess with an SD card slot, maybe not the worst thing. Probably not, and I agree with you on the point that I think that rather than worrying about a removable battery, the fact that it's IP68 rated water and dust resistance is actually a pretty big deal. I think that's kind of the new must-have for consumers. Another one of the things that was kind of a big deal but hasn't been recently was that LG announced that it was going to be one of the first phones that came out with Google Assistant built in, and this was one of the major selling points of the Pixel when it originally came out, was it's leveraging Google's artificial intelligence in the form of the Google Assistant to help you with certain 
types of interactions every day because it's always listening. You don't need to touch your phone. You just say that keyword and it automatically lights up and you can start asking it questions. It's the same Google Assistant in some forms that's baked into Google Home and things of that nature. And it would have been really, really great if LG had released this phone sometime soon because in the meantime, Google has rolled out the Google Assistant to pretty much almost every phone on Marshmallow and Nougat now, especially Nexuses, which have had it for a while, as well as the Pixel devices. But now regular devices, regular phones are actually also starting to get it as long as they're on a Nougat build and above. So some of the other uh, maybe advantages that the G6 would have had had it launched sooner in the United States are starting to evaporate, which again, to kind of circle back to what you mentioned on pricing, if this phone comes out at $799, it is in direct competition with the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Plus pricing, which we expect will start probably start around those price points. What would make me want to buy the G6 over the Galaxy S8? And that's the problem. That's what I keep coming back to. Um, LG really did listen, I think, from the relative poor reception of the G5, addressed virtually everything they should have addressed. So I give them a lot of credit. I think the G6 is the best one they've ever built, which it should be. It's the newest phone. But I think they really took the criticism to heart and built something that was quite a bit better than the old. But yeah, to circle back to what you said, um, in a universe where Samsung's going to be releasing two weeks later with a newer processor and, you know, kind of all of those features baked in as well, um, they really lost any momentum they had by releasing this phone so late. If they had released this right at the announcement in early March, late February, at a price tag of maybe $599 or something, I think there's a compelling argument to be made that for a lot of people, this would be a great phone to have. I think it does everything relatively well. But yeah, this is the same problem every OEM has. Compared to Samsung and Apple, it's like no one really pays attention. And now you're going to have Google in that mix too. And that's kind of the top three, I think, that people are going to be looking at going forward. And it's hard for anyone else to break in. And LG did a lot of things right, but they blunted their momentum to the point where I just don't see how this is a critical, you know, it'll probably be a critical success. I think the reviews will be relatively positive, but as far as a commercial success, I I can't imagine it, you know, putting any kind of dent in the sales of the Galaxy S8. So would you say that the only major advantage that the LG might have is that it is... Would you say that's the actual only real advantage? God. You knew I was going to use that joke. You knew it. You knew it was coming. Why did I agree to let you do that once? I don't know what I was thinking. I don't have any idea what you're thinking either, but I'm pretty sure it was awesome. So, LG, good on you. I think you did some great things by listening to consumers, packing a really big display in a really small device that's got a lot of what people want, and then you went and didn't release it for a really long time. Yeah, it's really too bad, too, because I, I do think it's, God, they really did listen to people and built a really nice device that's just going to get swallowed up by the GSA. That's my prediction. And I think I'm right there with you. So anything else on the G6 before I move on? Nah, it's kind of sad. Let's hope it does better than we think it's going to. I agree. I'd love to be wrong in this case, that's for sure. So uh, what did we see from Huawei? I think we got a couple of phones and a watch. Does that sound right? Yeah, they released the follow-up to their uh, watch. Uh, I think it's a 1.3-inch OLED screen, so I think it's actually slightly smaller than the last. Um, and it has Android Wear 2.0, which that was just the big release that just came out. Um, it looks fine. I actually don't know if I like it better than the first one. Um, 
I think it looks okay. I, I still think in that segment, the Galaxy Gear S3 is probably the best-looking phone. Or, excuse me, best-looking smartwatch. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think the pricing is, what, 299 So they're kind of expensive. <sighs> Android Wear is one of those things that's like, it's only slightly more alive than the Android tablet scene for me at this point. It's Which is to say barely at all. Yeah, I mean, I know it's out there, and I know it's a thing, and they're releasing these watches, but it's just... I don't know anyone who's buying them. I don't really know anyone who's excited about this release, and while I think their watch is fine, it's... I don't know. Again, in some ways, I kind of like the original Huawei watch better, so I'm not... I don't know. I wasn't that impressed. Nor was I, and I am reading through... Uh, the specs, and yes, I found it. So the oh, I agree. I think the biggest consensus, and and I'm kind of in the same market as well, is that L or excuse me, Huawei made the watch sportier and maybe a little more masculine, I guess, if you will. And uh, I don't think that was for the better. I think I like the original design of the original Huawei watch personally a lot better. It looks like a much more refined timepiece. This just looks like your standard sport watch that you can get pretty much from anywhere, like the Moto 360 Sport, in fact, to me, looks almost identical to this. The only thing I was really concerned with, and I didn't see it originally, and I do see it now, is that it does have NFC for mobile payments, which to me is kind of the deal breaker for Android Wear. This is one of the big deals um, with the new version of Android Wear, is the ability to make and do mobile payments. And uh, if it doesn't have that, then it's kind of toast. So um, I, I'm not sold. Uh, I think Android Wear and a lot of these OEMs are still not quite where they need to be in terms of making Android Wear a must-have. Uh, and this comes from a Moto 360 owner. So um, yeah, I'm not not too impressed. Gotta say. Nah, I was much. I said I like it less than the first one, and I didn't love the first one, and wouldn't have paid that much for it. So. Yeah, I don't think that's a good a good thing for them. Probably not. What about the uh, P10 and the P10 Plus? The, their phones, on the other hand, were more impressive. So uh, they did announce the P10 and P10 Plus. Um, these are the continuation of the kind of successful P9 from last year, which was the first Leica-branded camera Huawei phone. Um, quick rundown of specs. Uh, the P10 has a 5.1-inch 1080p um, IPS LCD. Um, it's got the same camera setup as the Huawei Mate 9, which means it has a 12 megapixel RBG uh, primary camera and a 20 megapixel um, black and white monochrome camera that it uses in tandem to pick up, you know, better better light and all of that stuff. Um, the processor is the Kirin 960, so that's uh, a 16 nanometer process. Um, it's got four of the A73, which is the newest reference ARM design, so that's the newest kind of CPU out there right now, uh, in conjunction with four um, A53s for low power tasks. Um, 32 or 64 gig of memory, 4 gig of RAM, SD card slot, uh, has an 8 megapixel um, front-facing uh, selfie camera. Woo! Um, and then we have the P10 Plus, which from a spec standpoint is basically the same, uh, except for it has a 5.5-inch QHD screen, um, and it does come with 6 gig of RAM. Um, in, well, pardon. It comes with 4 gig of RAM in the 64-bit configuration. It comes with 6 gig of RAM in the 128 gig configuration. So, uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. Uh, the smaller one has a 3250 milliamp hour battery. The bigger one, or excuse me, 3200. The bigger one has a 3750. 
Um, the other big thing about this is they come in kind of a multitude of colors. We have, um, gosh, rose gold, dazzling gold, prestige gold. Um, yes, two different golds. Uh, mystic silver, graphite black, white, dazzling blue, and greenery. Uh, the greenery was kind of the one that was featured a lot in the rollout along with the blue. Um, so, nice phone. Um, it's not going to be available in the United States. It is going to come out in Canada from what I read. Uh, the reason for it not coming to the United States is because the um, Honor 8 did not sell that well here. Um, I think the other reason would be really beyond the screen sizes, this is a Mate 9, uh, which is already available in the United States. It has the same processor, same camera, um, a lot of the same basic things. I like these phones. I think they look nice. Uh, they have the front-facing um, capacitive fingerprint scanner, um, kind of like the like a OnePlus setup. Uh, the colors are nice. The phones still have a fair amount of bezel. Uh, they're not in the same league as the upcoming GS8 or the G6. They kind of look in that way, like more like last year's designs, more so than this year's designs, which is kind of a negative. Um, but overall, they, you know, they're not bad. I, they have a lot of stuff going for them. I really do like the Kirin chipset. I actually prefer that to, you know, in some ways to the Snapdragon. In fact, it's uh, the, the newest design and really powerful and uh, something a little bit different, which I always like. Um, so, yeah, they're nice phones. Huawei's problem is the same. There's, there's no way to make a dent in the U.S. market unless you have presence with one of the, you know, the main wireless companies and they don't have it. So as long as that's the case, they can try to sell these unlocked models at Best Buys or whatever else. Um, and they'll always sell some and they make some nice phones, but I just don't see them making a breakthrough unless they can get in with the carriers. Yeah. And it's kind of a shame because I think the P10 and the P10 plus are, like you mentioned, really interesting phones, if nothing else, the colors that are available are something that I've been kind of harping on the manufacturers to do for a while. Now people want different things in the phone you get black you get silver usually and sometimes you'll get a like a frosty white kind of color Woo, boring the uh the blue and the green especially the greenery actually really caught my eye and while i'm not a big fan of the rose gold i think that there is enough that huawei's offering in this type of package that the p10 comes with that is or could be attractive to a lot of u.s borrowers You've got the uh, two different sizes, you've got a couple of different configurations, and you've got what will probably amount to being decent camera setup as well as probably reasonable battery life. Not going to be close to the Mate 9 probably because that thing is a beast, but the um, the only thing I didn't particularly care for about it was the front-facing fingerprint scanner. I think Huawei's done some great work, especially with the Nexus 6P and the Mate 9 with their rear-mounted fingerprint sensors, and I think those are really cool, and I think that kind of like you already mentioned the the p10 feels a little bit like a last year's design and not really anything pushing the envelope forward and without without that without something that really kind of jumps out and screams at you and especially because the devices aren't going to be made available here in the united states i don't really know what else there is to say about the huawei p10 and p10 plus no i mean people should pay attention this is the what third largest oem by volume in the world behind samsung and apple so uh, this is not some tiny company. This is a huge company that's really trying to break into this market, but they need a carrier presence. I agree with you on the rear-facing um, fingerprint scanner. The Huawei Mate 9 has a much better um, screen-to-bezel ratio because of that, and it, it does seem like a step backwards from a design standpoint. I would say the only other thing they're missing for flagship phones is some kind of IP rating. They're not waterproof or dustproof or anything. True. 
I think that's something that customers are beginning to expect now with more regularity. Uh, the only other thing too, they did put they put a better camera on the the larger one. It's got a 1.8 aperture versus I think it's 2.2 for the standard one, and uh, that's kind of a, a bummer. I think they have enough room in the phone, especially with the bezels they have, to do that. So I wish they would have thrown their best kind of optics at both flagships, but. Um, Overall, uh, nice phones, standard Huawei design, lots of metal. Um, they look clean. I like the colors, but yeah, you know, you're never going to see this in the United States. So it kind of is what it is. Kind of a bummer, but like you say, uh, maybe people in Canada will give us some good reviews of it. Let's talk about a phone that may actually make its way to the United States and the Motorola G5 and the G5 Plus. What's uh, what's Lenovo got going on for us, Sean? Yeah, so Motorola announced two phones. Uh, the G5 is a 5-inch 1080p budget phone. Do you ever think we were going to have a day where a 1080p phone would be a budget phone? You remember when 1080p came out and it was the most amazing thing ever? I do remember you yelling at me something about uh, my poverty-only 1080p phone a little while ago, but I could be wrong about that. And now all poverty phones have 1080p. Um, 5-inch 1080p screen, uh, IPS LCD. Um, It's got a... The normal G5 has a Snapdragon 438, uh, which is an octa-core A53-based chipset. Um, this chipset, since it's lower end, is a 28 nanometers, so you probably shouldn't expect the crazy good battery life of the um, 625, which is a octa-core A53 at 14 nanometer process. Um, 3 gig of RAM, 28 milli- 2800 milliamp hour battery, 13 megapixel camera. Um, you know, it has a fingerprint scanner on the front, and uh, let's see what else. Micro SD card support, which is nice. Um, the 16 gig model has 2 gig of RAM, pardon. Uh, the 32 gig model has 3 gig of RAM. And then we have the G5 Plus, which is a 5.2 inch 1080p screen, um, 12 megapixel primary camera. This is the Snapdragon 625, um, which is kind of the battery king, so that's nice. With a 3000 milliamp hour battery, I would imagine the battery life on this is probably going to be pretty solid. Um, Let's see, we have a 32 gigabyte model with 2 gig of RAM, and then yeah, the 64 gig model has 4 gig of RAM. Um, it looks like in some markets too, there's a 32 gigabyte with 3 gigabytes of RAM. I don't know why we're playing this game, but we seem to have a lot of different SKUs. Uh, the 12 megapixel camera has an f1.7 aperture, which is insanely good for a budget phone. Um, the only mainstream phone that I know that has an aperture like that is the Samsung Galaxy S7, so. Uh, you know, hopefully in low light and whatnot, that should really pay off. Five megapixel front facing camera. Um, I think I saw the pricing was like 179 229 might be 199 229 I'm not, I can't remember what it is offhand. But uh, yeah, they, they look nice. I mean, they look like the standard Motorola phones. Um, again, I would say, look, they're budget phones, so you can't pick on them too much, but. They do have a fair amount of bezel, again, by today's standards. Uh, with you know, Anytime you have the front-facing fingerprint scanner now, you have to have a pretty large bottom bezel in order to accommodate it. And in the world where, again, LG and Samsung are really shrinking bezels, it, it does stand out. I, I know that sounds ridiculous. Like, the Galaxy S8 isn't even out yet, and the G6 is barely out. But um, we're just getting to the point where that's going to be... I think we're going to look back at these phones with big bezels and go, yeah, those look old pretty quickly here. But... Um, for budget phones, the G series has always been kind of the best, I think, and these look to kind of carry on the tradition. So, uh, I, their metal build this year too, which is a, a step up. They, they look pretty nice. They do, especially the Moto G Plus, the fifth gen. Um, while it still has that 
Moto 360 camera module hump slapped onto the back of it. It, it does not exactly look like a mid-range phone, although it definitely is a mid-range phone. This is a great phone for somebody who's looking to get into the smartphone market and whose single primary concern is battery life. The combination of the 3000 milliamp hour battery, the 1080p display, and the Snapdragon 625 probably will make this thing last and last and last and last. I think the Moto Z Play right now is the current battery champ and the Moto G Plus should probably approach that territory based on all of these initial technical specifications. Um, it does got micro SD card support up to 128 gig. It's 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 a decent phone. Again, for if the rumored listing price of 229 is true, like that's a solid value at that price point for sure. And if you are looking to get a, a secondary phone, a backup phone, or just want a affordable primary phone, you could probably do a lot worse than the Moto G5 Plus. Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I'm excited to see what Motorola's flagships are going to look like this year. We've got a couple of other vendors also whose phones are not going to make its way to the United States. That list includes Sony and most likely Nokia. Um, what's a quick rundown on what Sony offered this year, Sean? Sony showed two phones. Um, we have the Sony Xperia XZS, which is basically the follow-up to the last year's XZ. Um, it has a 5.2-inch 1080p screen. Um, they have a new camera sensor this year. It's a 19-megapixel rear-facing camera. Um, it's going to be Snapdragon 820 powered with 4 gig of RAM. So from a processor standpoint, it's kind of using, again, last year's processor. It's also kind of a puzzlement. They didn't use the Snapdragon 821 at this point, so um, not sure what's going on there. 2,900 milliamp hour battery, which is a little on the small side, but not terrible. Um, micro SD support, uh, 32 gigabytes with 4 gig of RAM, or 64 gigabytes also with 4 gig of RAM. Um, the aperture on that new 19 megapixel camera is 2.0. Uh, it's got a front-facing 13-megapixel selfie camera, which I guess is nice if that's your thing. Um, you know, they're going to sell it unlocked. Again, no carrier support. Uh, in the United States, because of some contractual issues, they the fingerprint scanner that's built in the home button is disabled for this market. You can flash international firmware in order to make it work, but I don't think that's something that your average person is going to be do, doing, and that's assuming they buy it in the first place. Uh, they also announced the Xperia XZ Premium, which is um, a 5.5-inch uh, 4K screen, so 3840. what? I thought you said that there was a phone OEM who just released a device that has a 4K display. It is, and they released a 4K screen last year, if you'll remember. Um, and it's one of those things where most of the OS renders in 1080p most of the time, but under certain conditions and certain applications, it will render at 4K. Um, you know, I think you could definitely argue this is overkill. It's kind of weird. Like the application that 4k would make the most difference for is VR, but I read that the refresh rate on any of the LCD screens currently available is not fast enough to get certified anyway. So you have a 4k screen that won't get daydream certified. Yay. Um, it also has a 19 megapixel camera, their new sensor, uh, four gigabytes of Ram. And this one has a Snapdragon 835. So, um, it will be one of the first phones with the Snapdragon 835, you know, the rumor has been that Samsung has the initial supply basically taken up for April and May. So a few eyebrows were raised when this was announced, maybe that some OEMs will have access. But it turns out that this phone's not going to come out until June, even though they announced it in February. So that solves that mystery. But um, um, What else? Um, yeah, 13 megapixel front facing camera again. Got that selfie cam. 
fingerprint is region dependent, so probably the same situation. Um, it has a super like mirror-like finish. Uh, they showed a silver one. It's actually quite striking looking. I think it looks kind of neat on the back, except for the fingerprints on the back surface are insane how uh, awful it is. Everyone comments on this. Uh, it's like a mirror that you're constantly rubbing your fingers over all day long. Yes. And then also, you know, look, Sony again apparently did not get the memo that we're doing small bezels now. Um, the bezels on this phone, top and bottom, are massive. Um, just, like, when you look at the picture, it's insane how massive they are, as a matter of fact. So, you know, <sighs> Sony's presence in the United States is already kind of tenuous. I don't really feel like this is a major market for them anymore. And I don't see these phones getting any traction either. Um, kind of a shame. It is, because Sony, I think, can do some really good things um, and has done some really good things in the past, although I don't necessarily know if any of the phones that were released uh, at Mobile World Congress this year really captured my attention or desire that much. Um, I definitely don't want a phone that I have to wipe down 73 times a day with a microfiber cloth because my fingerprints are all over it. That seems kind of weird. What did we get from Nokia? Nokia released three phones, a three, well... Three Android phones, three, uh, three, five, and six series devices. Um, most of these are mid-range devices, 1080p screens and the like. Um, honestly, I hadn't paid that close of attention to them because I don't, again, know if they're even coming to our market. And these are kind of mid-range phones. Nokia is going to release a full-on flagship at the end of the year. Well, maybe not the end of the year, maybe more towards the summer. That's going to be Snapdragon 835 powered, excuse me. We know that's coming, uh, but it wasn't announced here. So... Um, they announced those three, but probably more importantly, they announced the successor to the famous Nokia 3310. Yes, this is where it gets interesting. And uh, I know this is really what you were looking forward to anyway. Absolutely. Um, if for anyone that ever had like you know a candy bar cell phone in the late 90s, uh, you probably had a Nokia 3310 at some point. Um, the thing you may remember most about it is it had Snake on it. Which was a fantastic game, and I will be honest with you, I owned one of these phones. It was one of my first mobile phones, and the nostalgia factor here really cannot be understated. It's been updated with internals that are now a little bit more modern than what would be just reproducing the Nokia 3310 in today's market, which would be an absolute disaster. But I actually think this phone will sell reasonably well. It's going to be insanely cheap. There are going to be a ton of people who love the vintage factor about it. And Nokia is probably going to sell more of these than they may of their 3, 5, and 6 phone combined. Oh, I think that's a guarantee. I don't get it at all. Uh, I'll be honest. I see it. I go, yeah, I remember when we had those and then we moved on. So um, it doesn't run Android. It runs their little proprietary OS. I don't get it at all. Uh, But people on the internet are geeking out about this damn thing. So I guess nostalgia is what the deal is. It's a thing. It's a real thing. And I would have to imagine the margin on those phones because of the relatively uh, lackluster internals and screens probably very high. So maybe Nokia is a bunch of geniuses. They, uh, they think they're going to have a winner here, and I think they're probably going to have uh, another version of it, and then another version, and then another version of it. They're going to milk this gravy train as long as they can get it. And I think people will buy it. I think even nothing more than just to have it as a burner phone and just say, hey, um, I remember when these things were a thing, and, uh, and that's that, and yeah, that would be enough. And my question to those people would be, why? Why? You haven't... You want to know why you have a nice new smartphone? Because that's what we use now. Like, this is the equivalent of, like, 
you know, if Honda released like a 1991 Accords, you know, new edition with updated engines, no one's going to buy it. And you want to know why? Because it's a freaking old car and technology's moved on and no one wants that. And that's how I feel about this phone. Don't get it. It's got snake, baby. It's, it's so snake. dumb. It's so dumb. I don't even understand. And they're going to sell a gajillion units. So I know nothing. It's okay. Agree to disagree. <laughs> so I think the last major announcements that came actually were from one of the biggest OEMs there, but they weren't actually about their smartphones. Samsung announced a couple of different tablets. And what do we think we know about these things? Well, we know a lot. Samsung released the Galaxy Tab S3. Uh, it's 9.7 inch AMOLED screen, uh, 4.3 aspect ratio, so 2048 by 1536. Uh, it's Snapdragon 820 powered, which for a tablet is pretty much top of the line right now, unless you buy Apple. Um, it's got 4 gig of RAM, uh, 32 or 64 gig of memory, uh, SD card slot. Uh, the back design compared to the S2, the front's very similar. It still has the Samsung home button, which is weird because they're getting rid of it in their phones, but they kept it for their tablet for reasons unknown, and it still has the back and multifunction buttons. But the back of the actual device is glass, kind of like the, um, you know, from the Galaxy S6 on, the Samsung glass with a, a flush camera. Um, it looks nice, you know... The Android tablet space is such a dumpster fire right now that there really isn't anyone, you know, there isn't anything else out there anyway, excuse me. So they kind of have the market to themselves. But even saying all of that, we still don't have a release date. I see some vague release dates in maybe March or April in certain regions. And we don't have price points besides, I have seen a few leaked price points like that are insanely high, $699 and that kind of thing, which, Jesus. look, if it costs $699, it's dead on arrival. If it costs $599, it's dead on arrival. Uh, if the 64 gig costs $499 here, I could see that maybe being something that people buy, but I, I believe, based on what I'm reading so far, that it'll likely be more expensive than that. I actually have my eye on this. I don't... My tablet's years old. Um, I do still use it. I'm kind of looking for an upgrade, but at the prices that they're talking about, there's no chance of that happening. I'm not paying that much for you know what effectively is a media consumption device. You're better off buying a freaking phablet at that point, getting the full use of the phone out of it. Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite get the strategy. Um, they also announced like their own version of the Surface, if you will. Uh, uh, I don't even what was the name of that thing, Samsung Galaxy Book. Galaxy Book, uh, very clever. Um, it looks nice. Uh, Samsung, Samsung hardware has come a long way. So, I mean, their hardware usually looks nice, but they also, on the pricing, have really gone crazy the last couple of years. And the problem, again, with that is why wouldn't I just buy a Surface if I'm in the market for that kind of thing, something that actually, you know, kind of the original and does a really nice job for what it is. Or for me, the problem always is I would just buy a laptop. I don't, I don't quite get it. So... I think that's kind of where uh, Samsung's trying to hit with this. They've, it's powered by Windows 10. It's got an Intel Core i5 processor. They tout it as the ultimate productivity machine, and I'm thinking it's definitely going to be in competition with things like the iPad Pro and the Surface and the Surface Book. And I, I agree. I just don't get it. I think at that point, you're really better off with the clamshell laptop form factor and just calling it a day. A tablet is never really going to be the kind of productivity machine that a good old workhorse Ultrabook is going to be. And that's... We agree on one point in particular, and that is the Android tablet space is an absolute trash fire waiting to happen and has been happening for a long time. I don't know 
what this thing is going to be priced at, but I know it's going to be expensive and I know it's not going to be worth it. And those are the two things I know right now. It's going to be priced too much. Spoiler alert. Um, you know, last but not least, Samsung showed off a teaser for the Galaxy S8. Uh, the irony here is the phone has leaked in every variant you could possibly imagine. We've seen functional units. We've seen everything. So the whole fact that they had a teaser is kind of hilarious because it's just out there everywhere. Um, Having said that, they did confirm that March 29th is going to be the official kind of kickoff thing in New York. And then uh, the release dates, it's either going to be April 21st or April 28th, um, one or the other. Uh, It's swung back and forth. It was the 28th last week. I saw a report, though, today that said back to the 21st. So Hmm. um, we'll see. But Samsung, you know, this was kind of a, they did the toe and showed up, showed off a couple of things that are not flagship products for them, uh, teased their flagship product and bounced. So... um, Peace out. I'll say to you guys, Jesus Christ, if you announce something, announce it with a price and a release date. I don't understand why this is still an issue. LG did it this year. I think we gave LG credit last year. I think they didn't do this with the G5, but then they made the mistake with the V20 of doing the same thing. Um, Samsung didn't announce a release date. Sony didn't announce release dates. Um I don't know what these guys are doing. It's completely ridiculous. It, if you're going to announce a product, announce when you can buy it and for how much. It's stupid. I agree. There's nothing worse than saying, hey, we've got something great that you're probably going to like and we really want you to love it and we don't know when we can give it to you and we don't know how much it's going to cost. So uh, kind of pointless. Uh, actually, really pointless if you think about it and definitely not worth the time that Samsung spent there considering that the tablets will probably be overpriced and not really that useful or interesting to anybody. And the reason that everybody was there was pretty much to see the teaser of the Galaxy S8, which we have a copy of it up at silicontheory.com. If you're interested in checking out the video, definitely go there and, and peep that. So anything else that we need to wrap up from Mobile World Congress, Sean? No, I mean, it was an interesting show. Um, it for me, the G6 kind of was the, the main event and everything else kind of on the sidelines. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming. And uh, there's a weird divide, though, right now of, like, LG and the, the G6 and the GS8 look like new phones. They look like a new generation of phones. Something's a little bit different than what we're used to. Everyone else is still rocking this kind of old form factor with the, with the big bezels. And it's kind of... It's hard to get excited about those anymore because to some extent we've seen what the future looks like and it's a much cleaner look to my eyes. So um, we're kind of in a weird in-between transition time where it seems like some of the OEMs still have not caught on. Um, So it was kind of a weird show in that regard. I agree. And I think that it was a little bit um, maybe overhyped considering that at least for the U.S. market, about 50% of the stuff that we've already talked about this evening is not even going to come to the U.S., so not really a ton to get excited about. Some of the stuff that is coming, like the G5 and the G5 Plus, definitely mid-range stuff, so uh, I agree. I think the LG G6 stole the show, and all bad jokes aside, I think it could be a really terrific phone. I just think it's going to have a really hard time competing against Samsung when it comes out about the same time as the Galaxy S8 and the S8 Plus, so... um, I think that's it. I think that wraps it up for the Mobile World Congress recap. As always, you can catch all of our stuff at SiliconTheory.com. You can shoot us a line at SiliconTheory at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SiliconTheory. And we will catch you in the next one. Thanks, guys. See you next time.